he's he's rom- oh, romancing the stump in that last. Uh... <laughs> well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Hello, one and all. Welcome to episode 12 of. Are we at 12? Be, we are at 12. Hot damn. Re- Hot. Yes. Damn. And the name of this podcast is Be Real Guys. It is a movie podcast with your two hosts. I am one of them. I am Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Goddamn Ballard. And every week or so, we uh, we come around and talk with vigor, with vim and vigor about uh, three movies based around a theme and yeah, we tell you what we tell you what we think of them. Yeah, we attempt to uh, hold our scale we devised. We attempt to hold our friendship together through uh, a podcast about movies. Oh, the distance! I think we conquer it all right. Though. I think we do too. I don't. I don't need to talk to you otherwise. So, <laughs> chance. So before we yes. get into this week's theme or anything, um, yeah. I just want to congratulate you on the release of your album. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I have a singer-songwriter project, and I released a record this past yeah, week. Yeah, it's called so. uh, Little uh, Mother Teresa's, and the album is called... Um, You're so close. The project is called Little Murray, and the album is called Never Met the Author. Right. Are you the author? What's What are you trying to say with that title? I That's one way of looking at it, yeah, what, th- that I think is right. What would be another one, though? Um not uh you know you never meet your heroes you don't know your heroes come on so don't don't get all caught up in that that would be another way to all of our listeners out there who don't know chance um and have not listened to his album it's uh it's i would say good good oh i think i would maybe say uh good bad (laughs) you think it's good bad you think it's like artfully constructed but just not very listenable I don't know. I disagree. Is... I think there are like at least four tracks that I've just like gone back to with like. Should we get? Should we tell people what our uh, what we're talking about today? I would love that. That's why we're here, okay. after all. We picked three movies about uh, three lost souls venturing into uh, the great American wilderness. I guess I was sort of calling them. Uh, go out there, be quiet, and learn something. Movies. Are you? How are you thinking about them? I'm just calling them uh, when nature calls. There you go. Yeah, and the three movies we decided to do this week uh, were Wild with uh, Reese Witherspoon, based on the best-selling Cheryl Strayed memoir. Into yep. the Wild, based on the best-selling John Krakauer, I guess, narrative nonfiction uh, about right. Christopher McCandless going out, you know, into the wild. And finally, uh, 127 Hours, uh, based on the best-selling memoir Between <laughs> a Rock and a Hard Place um, by... By Aaron Ralston. By Aaron Ralston. Yeah. What's an interesting... So, I had all these questions, too, because I, I didn't even realize when we picked the genre that they all were, in fact, based on nonfiction books. So that, nor did I. And they were all true stories, sort of. Shall I read the ad from our sponsor before we dive in here. Right. So not only are we brought to you by Never Met the Author, uh, we're also brought to you by something else. Are you disenchanted with the corporate complex of the early 90s? Does your heroin dependency have you down? Or maybe you just don't like returning phone calls. Sounds like you need a bold trail to blaze. This episode of Be Real Guys is brought to you by your nearest city park. Perfect for staging your long brewing rebellion five to ten minutes from home, your nearest city park likely comes equipped with several hundred feet of walking trails. Go ahead and stop out those demons around the playground and tennis courts twice if you have to. 
and there's no way your nagging parents will be able to reach you here. Not unless they, you know, want to come down to the park. And even then, you left your car a few blocks away to throw them off the scent. On this municipal vision quest, we know you want self-reliance to be a premium. Take only what you can carry. A Swiss army knife, a book of transcendentalist quotes, your cell phone with the ringer turned most of the way down. Plus, nature's buffet is everything in sight. So a turkey sandwich and lemonade from that Panera you see through the trees is totally fair game. So let's raise a granola bar you found near the picnic area to your impending physical and spiritual transformation. Your nearest city park, the adventure of an... Now, oh, shit, your parents did show up. Uh, these movies are pretty bleak, so I'm glad that you found some humor um, somewhere within this, you know, roughly six hours of sadness. It's true. I was, I watched Wild first, and I think that's one we're going to talk about first. But uh, but I also noticed. Also, well, I also noticed that these movies were not designed to be watched back to back to back. <laughs> I think you're totally right. What I was get, what I was going to say was, I think in general we picked, despite actually picking three movies that I think are fairly critically liked. Um, you know, the degree of watchability in this category is not, like, watchability is not inherent to someone going out and struggling in the middle of nowhere. Do you think there's, like, an inverse correlation between, like, critical darling and not being very watchable? Oh, uh, probably, right? Interesting. Probably somewhat. Yeah, because, like, the good, good movies sort of rest in our hearts, but not, like, you know, in the AFI list. Right. So, what are you going to do? Probably, but yeah, yeah, thank you, Chance, for... We, I mean, we're just... We didn't do it together, but we kind of did. But, like, taking this real journey with me the past few days watching these films. Because I feel You're like... Welcome. Well, I mean, are you having, like, a pretty deep and, like, existential moment on this Sunday evening? Yeah, sort of. I think. I mean, even for you, mo- you you are currently jobless. <laughs> You're about to move to like another city, and then you just watch three movies about people like going to the brink and back. <laughs> like I bet your headspace yeah. is pretty cloudy at this moment. I'm closer to the brink than usual. You might say. Right. Well, so, so. am I. Like I have all the staples of like you know a life that's stationary. No, I'm doing fine. I just that's good. I'll get I was over worried it. I just about want to record you. a podcast and drink a few craft beers and yeah, uh, continue to put everything I own on Craigslist. It'll be fine. Right. Well, you can just leave it out in the street, and I'm sure someone will take it. Like when I left Lincoln. <laughs> Should we get into wild? I would love to. That's why we're here. If your nerve deny you, go above your nerve. Emily Dickinson. And Cheryl Strait. This movie came out last year. Uh, it is directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. Do you think that's how you say that? I'm going to trust you that because you dove in first. That must be the pronunciation. Okay. Um, and he's probably best known uh, the previous year. He directed Dallas Spires Club, which and it I seems like a logical next step picture. in like, you know, sort of like sadness, <laughs> sad, like sort of mainstream Hollywood royalty, like, shameless academy award grabbing yeah yeah i guess finding a but mcconaughey like actually won yes and reese was nominated but she did not win i don't think Uh, reese came very close having now seen this movie wow okay anyway reese witherspoon plays uh cheryl strain uh who wrote the memoir and do you want to synopsize or do you want me to try to synopsize well, it's an interesting movie and, in, like, what the synopsis of the movie is. Because are you saying, like, the course of her life or what you were sort of, like, given as the movie goes? Because I had trouble sort of writing down a synopsis to this one because they give you so much information as it goes on. So basically she's right. – this woman is hiking the Pacific uh, Crest Trail, PCT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning – it starts out as, like, a very Scorsesean, like, here's a bad moment. Let's rewind and see how she got there. So it begins yes, with sure. her, like, kind of at her wit's end on this mountain. And she, like, pulls off its toenail and, like, loses a boot. 
and it's like then it's like six weeks previous and the movie sort of begins and shows you what brought her to want to walk the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh my God. What have I done? I'm sorry you have to walk a thousand miles just to... Finish that sentence. Why do I have to walk a thousand miles? Happy trail, Cheryl. Well, that's sort of the interesting thing about all three of these movies that I like. I think we can get into pretty quickly in discussing Wild, is the fact that like because they all basically have the same structure, right? There's like a main narrative going on, and then like a series of flashbacks. Right. So in this one, yes, you have like her actually on the trail and like what the experience is like. And then with the flashbacks, you sort of figure out like what the emotional stakes are and sort of develop the plot that way. I guess I would add before we, before we go on. Also, I would add, don't you think that they also employ those flashbacks to like for like a modicum of watchability? So we're not just hanging out with a person by themselves who we don't know. I think structurally that's also Super necessary. Right. What felt uneven about it. Well, I'll make this. About you. I'll probably make this case about all three of these movies. But I felt like, especially um, in Wilds, I thought the backstory was like the least entertaining part of this movie. I think, even though it seems like they're, they're mo- the motivations for like the three characters in the three movies being out there, um, even though they're definitely comparable, are sort of different. And right. Cheryl Strait is more sort of doing this for like a cleanse or just to like focus her It's her eat, mind. pray, love. Exactly, yeah. To focus her mind and body on something that is not... This is not uh, to say that she's not addicted to both heroin and sex. Right. But I think to uh, maybe to part of your point, I do like one of the things that this movie does. This movie might... Probably either this one or 127 Hours does this the best. These movies to create action and uh, to create uh, a feeling of movement for their characters, process like these people and their like physical process of packing their packs and and doing these human things they have to do out in the wild to survive is really important. And I think that it is one of the most. Um, I think that Reese gives a really like effortful and like taxing physical performance because I mean the, the whole thing with like her pack is 50 pounds and like the the tent and like I, I, I find like the nitty-gritty like setting up of these little campfire things oh, yeah. to be a really interesting part well, of Well that's movie. what I'm saying is I think that that's the best part of the movie is when she's in this present sort of linear narrative right I think that's really interesting but, like, also the weird thing about watching all three of these movies, and we'll get to this too, but the fact is the shitty things that happen to her are so much way less shitty than the shitty things that happen to everybody else in these movies. Uh, like, how do you mean? Like, she, her whole fucking trip gets derailed because she, she bought the wrong kind of gas. Like, give me a break. And then, like, oh, she yeah. can't figure out her tent and, like, her pack. She has to take two things off of it, and then it's doable. Oh, and she bought the wrong size shoes. Like, these are very, like, first world, like, wilderness problems. Yeah. Compared to, like, the narrative and, like, the harrowing ordeals that the other two gentlemen, who were when nature called, uh, are going through their stories. I think that's true, but to counter that, I mean, and I don't think you can miss this if you watch the movie and then especially if you watch into the wild right after it because like one of the things about like chris mccandless like he just kind of gets to like hey guys like everyone he meets and the like overarching predominant feeling about every person that cheryl Strait meets is like is she going to be sexually assaulted by this man that happens like that happens like five times and like it is really i don't but that's i don't the think thing the movie, the movie uses she, it particularly well, well she but it's is scary never sexually assaulted like in any way throughout the entirety of the movie and it's not like she has this trauma or something from her past that sort of like makes this make sense it just like exists and like every time she interacts with a man like he is like just like you know but i mean don't don't you think that that's probably like 
in the memoir? I don't know. Right, but it's such a... I mean, if you look at these scenes candidly and, like, sort of objectively, there's really not anything in them that's so... I don't know. Didn't you think it was, like, a little... Like, the movie itself is just paranoid about sexual assault. And we can get to this in a second. But the weird inverse it has with, like you were saying, with uh, Into the Wild, where that movie is, like, so, like, anti-paranoid and so open about just, like, doing stuff that, like, when horrible things happen, it's, like, a really big surprise. Where in these ones, or where in the situations with Reese Witherspoon and uh, in just wild without the into the um they're just like it's i'm always you're always expecting something bad to happen and then nothing really ever for me like happens like that movie yeah, when f- it ended was surprising to me like the way like the place it ended because i never felt like it really like got anywhere it's a little bit of a pat sort of ending um but yeah, see, I don't, I don't know if this movie quite did enough of. I mean, I, I think the question for that applies to a lot of these movies is like, can it do you enough to let you know what kind of person initially hit the road to make the interactions with people meaningful enough that, like, when they finish their journey, you're like, okay, you are different, or you learned something. Um, right. And I think like Reese is like Reese is like working her ass off and playing against type in like several different ways, and you, really you going think for successful it. Successful ways. Yeah, I think so. You, I, you'd be wrong. <laughs> I mean, I think that literally and metaphorically, like this movie is on her back, and she is doing a great job. Um, but I don't think that like, I don't think the script is there for her to, if Reese Witherspoon had switched roles with Rosamund Pike from Gone Girl (laughs) and like, they, you love this, they inverted it. Yeah. We would be like sitting here going like, we don't really need to have a movie podcast because movies have gotten as bad, like as great as they can be. And it's just (laughs) no point in arguing anymore. But I well, think, and then in Wild, the predominant part of every interaction would be, is Rosamund Pike going to kill this man on his own? Right. Well, that was like the weird, like, like logic of the movie that I didn't understand is that like in the back story, she is like the aggressor. She's like with her, like her sexual sort of um, addiction. Yeah. But then like when she's on the PCT, it's the movie becomes like really fearful of like, intimacy of any kind you're using heroin and you're having sex with anyone who asks but what's the point of this movie like what are you left with like what i was left with was oh this woman walked in the woods for a while because i thought like the pacing of the movie really didn't convey how long she was out there that's true and she's like oh it's a woman who's been walking around for a while thinking about her mom and like that's it. But isn't she learn she's learning to she's like it's self absolution and like she can be she can be loved by people. I think that's what it was trying to say. Interesting. And it's hard to like yeah. judge because this is like based on a memoir and I'm sure like for the actual Cheryl Strait, this is like a huge epiphany. And having not read the memoir, I don't know like what where that one lands. Right. Um so take this Maybe all with like a crushes that CGI Fox that I found so unnecessary. Oh my God. That was so brutal. She is a spirit animal. What was interesting. If I can say briefly, I think the budget for this movie was probably like 10% for like everything to make it uh, 40% paying Reese and then 50% digital effects on making this CGI red Fox right. that represents uh, forgiveness and her mother. CGI stuff uh, makes me like really uneasy. Well, it's weird. It was weird for like a life of pie animal to show up in this movie that was otherwise just scary men and Reese and trees. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically yeah. was. Do we? Uh, what you got? Anything else? Do we want to rate this sucker? I'm gonna have to go with good bad. I thought technically it was well made. Like, yeah, there is an arc there. Reese does fine, but I didn't. 
I don't know. I didn't really enjoy watching it because I was either like like on the edge of my seat being like, no, they're not going to show her getting raped, are they? And the other half was just like my my forehead in my hand being like, okay, like put your shirt back yeah. on, Reese. Like let's move this thing along. Yep. Uh, I am going to, I, the same for me. Uh, oh, good. good, bad. I thought you were going like, to say it was good, good. No, it's too, I also don't like, um, in terms of kind of like the way it comes off, like it's also sort of meme you know, like a, like it gives itself over to like memification with like just how many like quotes we have to hear, like oh. sincerely yeah, yeah, from yeah. like little moments. Like, suit, yeah, pseudo inspiring quotes that she that she leaves all over and says. Oh, those dumb like quotes that she. Uh, You're the lady with the quote. Give me a break. Okay, good, bad. Let's move on. Right, into the wild. Into the wild. There are people in this world who go looking for adventure. <laughs> Christopher McCandless was searching for himself. So you're a leather now. 2007, uh, as you mentioned earlier, based on the uh, best-selling 1996 John Krakauer uh, book that traced Chris McCandless' adventures across the U.S., this movie was directed and the screenplay was written by none other than Sean Penn. Oh, man. Um, Let's just start out by saying that, like, and we this is not, like, up for debate, um, Sean Penn, when he got, like, the go-ahead to, like, write and direct this movie, he, like, grabbed his nuts and had, like, a camera <laughs> in the other hand. He said, fine, and just didn't stop. <laughs> like, this movie, if you like it or if you don't like it, you have to admit, like, the production of this movie is ballsy. It's, it is a lot. It's There's so confident. A lot of it. It's so confident what it's doing. It's incredible. Oh, man. Um, and confidence flanked by that, that Eddie Vedder soundtrack. Um, <laughs> the Eddie Vedder soundtrack is why it's so confident. Like, like, that's so funny. Like, you get this incredibly, like, you know, revered rock musician to play, yeah. like, what are essentially, like, children's songs. <laughs> Really like dainty crystal acoustic like, like folk the songs. songs that are literally summarizing what you're seeing in the plot just in case you missed it. Society, you're crazy breed. I hope you're not lonely without me. You know, like sentimentality be damned. Yeah. Like we're just gonna play our we're just gonna play our hearts out. They love they love this story and they love Chris. Oh my god, um, yes. <laughs> which is interesting. I don't know how much you should love Chris. Um but anyway. Oh you mean a person um, that goes place to place, people fucking fall in love with him and then he leaves and destroys them and then <laughs> continues on his self righteous path to glory. <laughs> yep. Uh let's synopsize. Yes. Uh this movie um not quite in the same way you talked about before, um, with like a starting with a bad thing. But it also like sort of starts center point and loops back around right. chronologically. Uh, Chris McCandless, uh, who went into the wilderness, his sort of final big thing he wants to do is uh, survive a winter in uh, Alaska. And you sort of see him there starting that winter. And then it loops back around to him graduating uh, from Emory College in Atlanta, and you see briefly his sort of, like, troubled relationship. God, with his, like, Dad, I don't want a new car. I want the truth. Bougie, horrible parents. And uh, then he drives his uh, beat-up, shitty Dodson, out uh, to the southwest and sort of immediately loses it, burns his money, and then just sort of Literally, has, like, literally a, burns his money. Yeah, and then has, like, a vaguely Homeric thing where he just kind of, like runs into people and the whole time he's just like, I'm trying to get to Alaska and we keep get these flashes of, of him back there. Um, and yeah, let's go from I'm there. Going to Alaska, Alaska, Alaska. 
or city Alaska. I'm gonna be all the way out there. Yes, yeah. in the wild. Just, what are you doing when we're there? Now you're in the wild, just, what are you doing? You're just living, man. What, what struck me last night is I know that the book and this movie for mostly for for teenagers i would say like late teenagers like this means like a lot to a lot of people like a lot of the a lot of like young people um have or do sort of take this as like take chris's ideology to be like something to be revered 96 interesting um so like right after it happened and it took them like wow like 10 years to make that movie right but i have such a weird time looking at this as like fabulistic or something to be um, followed or emulated at all, primarily because of what a weirdo Chris is. And I'm not even talking about like him wanting to like renounce materialism and do something spiritual. That's not that weird. Um, but he is a weirdo and his, f- the horrible things from his family and his past are so specific that to like and that that to take it as like a this is how you rebel against like a model right. of like well I feel like the parable itself has not aged very well. It's this is the other thing I saw to your point. It's very like nineties that tradition of suburban corporate whatever he's critiquing right. feels a little bit old, but more specifically the feeling of a young person feeling like an unwitting cog in all of it mm-hmm. feels more passe because the way we experience the world now, um, well, I feel just like, different. yeah, all of us are so desperate now. And like, and if dad was like, here's a new car, I'd be like, fine. Like I'll take that. And then I'll, you know, start a startup company that rebels against corporate America, but I'm not getting, into like my Datsun and you know leaving it in the desert, man. Well, what he does is like, I mean, it definitely like takes guts and like a radical ideological stance. But yeah, I mean, but that's what I mean. Like, I mean, just think about it. none of these people have cell phones. Like, there's right. no social media, and here we're supposed to buy into like this young person like giving it all up. But to him, giving it all up was like he didn't even have a landline and somehow that was acceptable, you know? Right. Well, and the other thing is that Chris doesn't have any friends according right. to this movie, which is, which is really strange because you all, you have that thing where, you know, as a rebellious teen, rebellious teenagers don't like their parents and don't value their parents' lifestyle. But Chris didn't have any like friends that he commiserated with. Right. Um, and he appears to have like no sexuality at all. Which, that like, too. even in Dire Straits, our other two hapless heroes, like, have moments of, like, you know, they think about fucking. Yeah, for sure. And there's never a sexual sense. moment in this movie other than him not having sex with Kristen Stewart. I, we said a lot, but it's very 90s, and the idea of taking this as, like, any, taking this as, like, a, a model or encouragement is weird because of how specific and his backstory is and how strange... Is, do you think his parents are bad people? They do seem like pretty bad people, but they're not like conventionally bad I people. I think this you know? movie thinks that they're bad people, but if you like actually look at like what he's seen, it's really not that bad. Your father and I, we want to make a present to you. I'm going to get you out of that junker. Mm-hmm. What junker? That. <laughs> I want to buy you a new car. That's right. A new car? Mm-hmm. I do like, for the most part, um, the supporting cast. Love that he uh, Vince Vaughn on a grain thing. Vince Vaughn is great on that combine. Uh, yeah. Catherine Keener is good. Uh, Zach Galifianakis' 45 seconds of explaining how to smoke meat after you've killed is it. Zach like, Galifianakis? Zach Galifianakis. There's um, no way. It, indeed it is. But... It, I do like the use that it, it makes of those people because they do all just get to show up for kind of like five minutes and uh, right. give their give their best bit. And uh, Well, that's the thing is the movie argues that from each of these individuals, he learned something and then he applied it to this like eight weeks in the winter leading up to his death. I guess. I don't know if I buy that. I'm not though. sure I buy that it works, but that's definitely the structure of the movie. 
Right. So like sure. having all these, and it makes for this like perfect like Odyssey movie, where he gets to meet these people, take something from them, and then move on. That gets to be kind of rough. Well, actually, so here's the thing. I'll talk about this in a, or I can talk about it now. With 127 hours, um, the protagonist of that movie, played by James Franco, is also sort of like a jaded loner who like chooses in kind of a harsh way, like not to be around people but right. because it's james franco 90 percent of the time i see him on a screen i'm like oh that guy come on yeah. like and this movie i think wants you to think that all these people see chris mccandless or emile hirsch and they're like oh i love that guy like i just love being around that guy well, that's but i don't of... think that's the feeling that you get from the movie like who like i don't feel that way about him well, that's that's funny. Well, I also think it's 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 a simpler structure. Like, if you want to look, if you want to pull the camera back a little bit and look at it in sort of like a Hollywood sense, I feel like ultimately you go to these movies with the question in mind: like, do I want to see like Reese Witherspoon go through something horrible? Yeah. And this one is you want to see like Emil Hirsch, and the other one is James Franco. And then I think like one of the reasons that 127 hours will get to this, but is a success is because of like, that's so the results are so interesting. Totally. But with Emil Hirsch, I'm just like constantly like just in awe of like, he's like a, I mean, he grows up if he had survived, he grows up to be uh, Don Draper basically. But the thing I find so interesting about Emil Hirsch, as opposed to the other two is like, you're supposed to feel bad for Reese Witherspoon, and you're supposed to kind of feel bad for James Franco, of course, because he's in a shitty situation. Right. But I feel like the Mule Hirsch, like, the movie never asks us to, like, feel bad for him. It's just like, hey, look at what this cool weirdo did. And his performance is, like, pretty incredible, Emile Hirsch. Physically, especially. Yeah. I think was my favorite part of it. He kind of looks a little crow magnet at the end. Uh, let me bring it back around, if I can, to Sean Penn, because one of the things specifically about this going into the wild movie that with Sean Penn's direction style where he loves Chris so much and loves this journey and loves the things he does so much with the music and the sun dripping slow motion shots of him kayaking. Oh, like all the weird fonts the movie has. Have you noticed that? The the typeface of the opening credits is disgusting. That <laughs> hype, that that green hyper serif. I hate that. <laughs> oh, that's um, so good. But, but this is the this is the thing that I perpetually found so weird about this movie. Both, you know, all three. I feel like these movies are also similar. We keep talking about them in threes, but they, uh, um, you know, the other people, they, you know, they do want to be by themselves and they, and they go off and, and they do their thing. But this movie is about a guy who fundamentally will do anything to be alone. Like he wants to be alone. So right. for Sean, so for the, for this movie to portray his cathartic moments of solitude as this just like overwrought crazy like almost orgasmic performance for the camera is really weird because like those hey, moments, man, when he, those moments when he's where doing he's self-aware that, yeah like when he's doing that like when he's kayaking like no one else is supposed to be there so when sean penn is like emil like i need you to look like you're just like getting off like crazy for the camera like right now like that's really weird because like this guy didn't want to be like taped he didn't want to be around anyone right is there anybody here guess not you got more should we rate this guy you go first this one i'm saying uh, also good bad uh, I think the performances are good. Like, I think its sweep works um, on a technical level that I think that I appreciate. But it is also, I mean, I think this is a thing that we talk about, but it's also a hugely important part of watching movies. At two and a half hours, by the time we get to Hal Holbrook giving him a lesson on uh, crafting leather things, um, like, you you lose me a little bit. Um but yeah, but I found I found Chris 
to be such an interesting intellectual study and for the movie's treatment of Chris to be so dissonant with what was coming back at me. Um, It's good, bad. I'm going to have to disagree. I'm going to say this movie was bad, good. Okay. Um, Because this movie is like questionable and it's portrayal of like a real life figure. Um, doesn't really give a damn about your time or like things you have going on later Um, (laughs) or the rules of like traditional filmmaking. And for that reason, like I think they end up with something that's not like very good, but like certainly fun to watch. And I enjoyed, this is like probably the only movie I actually enjoyed watching. Of these three? Of these three, just for, like, sheer entertainment. Because it's a, it's a weird, cool, like, good-looking guy doing weird, cool stuff. Like, okay. And it, it didn't, it, I mean, don't, it isn't maybe if they didn't give you them, but isn't the purpose of these movies to sort of give you that catharsis, like, of watching these people and sort of thinking kind of in the back of your mind, well, I sort of did something by watching this movie, right? That leaves us with 2010's 127 Hours which was based on that uh, memoir by Aaron Ralston you mentioned, uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Is that right? It's like the only circumstance in which that is a title that can be used. Yes. Without. Uh, and directed. Yeah. Keep going. Directed by, Dan, directed by Danny Boyle. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't he like fresh off uh, Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. Two years past it. Good morning, everyone. It is seven o'clock here in Canyonland, USA. Hey, Aaron. Mom still has not heard from you. Will you just call her, please? I'll talk to you soon. And this morning, on the boulder, we have a very special guest, Aaron Ralston! Well, basically, this guy has, like, a fun, long weekend planned. Um, (laughs) He gets in his car Friday night, goes and drives to Moab, and sleeps in his truck, and then wakes up the next morning on his mountain bike and just fucking goes for it and meets these two cute girls they hang out he's like okay but i really prefer like not being around people runs off and uh, then gets trapped uh, under a huge rock and the hijinks ensue i don't know about hijinks suffering right and then the the almost like a passion of the christian antics ensue there you go well said i think This movie is so interesting in comparison to the other two because you can imagine how, wait, 95% of mainstream directors would direct this movie and then you have how Danny Boyle (laughs) chooses to direct direct it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this movie is like shot on digital and it's so apparent and it's like really cool. Yeah, just like perspective warping shaky cam like you have the mix of 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 aaron played by james franco taking that uh camcorder footage of himself but also it seems like other times camcorder footage like sneaks into other perspectives of him or like somewhere in between with the graininess and then you just have danny boyle who is just makes uh film in this very hyper um it's a fucked up dude electric way yeah yeah that dude Um, is like a fucked up mind um and because like what's really sort of unsettling about this movie is like how like it shows you everything like everything it literally takes it it, the camera goes into the tube as he's drinking his own urine right you know you see every blood curdling thing when this guy spoiler alert cuts off his own fucking arm Right, and not only do you see it, Danny Boyle shoots it in a way that so you also experience what it's like to like to touch your own nerve. But okay, so but this is one of the things that I think is so interesting. Like this movie also creates a tall order for itself. Whether this is the first time you're watching it or you're rewatching it, um, how to maintain a sense of suspense and you caring about the moment to moment happenings when you probably know he cuts his arm off. And if you don't know that you at least know he's not getting out until the 127th hour. Right. So spoiler alert is the title. 
Right. How do you get people to care about what happens in the 40th, 50th, 60th hour as he's like trying to pick up his Swiss Army knife with the stick he's holding with his toes? Like there's a and this is something I brought up in the first one, but this is another movie that just loves Aaron's like little mechanical trinkety process of like what's it like when he dumps his bag of stuff out on top of the rock and surveys the tools mm-hmm. at his disposal like this movie adores that moment well that's like um, james and- franco's style of acting it's just like let me just let's see what i got in my like bag of tricks and like <laughs> i'm going for it but you like you know what's coming with james franco so i feel like it was sort of a nice nod to us the viewer to literally see him like pour out the things he was going to use over the next you know 90 minutes that's true um my favorite mo- moment in this movie, for sure, though, and I just think brilliantly done by Boyle and Franco, is he falls, the rock hits his arm, and you have this moment of like absolute silence where he, where Aaron slash Franco is sort of like rejecting thinking about what's next because like he knows that won't go well, and it's just this moment of like looking up and looking down and like mm-hmm. it's just like this tiny moment of blankness when everything to follow is going to be like physical tragedy. Right. It's great. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you pick uh, death or do you cut off your own arm? I don't think I have the constitution to cut off my own arm. Oh, I stayed home. Right. I would never um, be in Moab to begin with. <laughs> Lost. I'm a guide. What do you say? <laughs> See, I'm something of a big hard hero. All you have to remember is that everything will be okay. <laughs> well, because the point of it is really not, and that's what's like sort of the misconception of the movie, at least the way I've uh, see it like even from the title is it's not about the time he spends there. It's about the fact that he cuts off his own arm. <laughs> <laughs> of a misconception that is but even like the title makes you think that like oh it's just like a guy who's gonna be somewhere like for a really like in a really unpleasant situation for like a long amount of time like the time doesn't matter like the the climax of the movie is dude cuts off his own arm well so this isn't i don't know if stop me if i'm getting this too early but it's interesting it was interesting to consider this movie specifically in our rating system because mm-hmm. of what you brought up like how watchable is a man cutting off his own arm do <laughs> i want to watch that does it automatically disqualify this movie well that's like the horrifying being... marketing challenge of this movie like that why that's like yeah. that's probably why it's not called something like you know severed <laughs> <laughs> right um but that was interesting so i i found myself sort of being like what do what do we mean by watchability do we mean hard to watch because like it it is hard not to watch this movie through your fingers or hard to get through because i found this i find this movie to be really compelling i don't find it hard to get through at all but it's horribly hard to like actually put my eyeballs on the tv screen at times right it was an interesting question i guess we can spoil the answer later but right No, 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 that's a really, I mean, I've had to struggle with that for, you know, all afternoon chance. (laughs) Almost six hours is the title of your movie. Yeah, almost Um. six hours. (laughs) Two podcasters fall in love over 1,500 miles. Um, Anyway, so, well, linking it back to the other two movies. Yeah. And maybe this will get us to our ratings, too. But, like, I think it goes into, like, is this movie an entertaining experience of watching, like, a pretty major celebrity, like, eat shit for about 90 minutes? There you go. And for me, it's yes. For me, it's yes, too. I think, like, James Franco... I mean, like, that's that's the James Franco thing. Like, James Franco is always trying to find opportunities for himself to make it the James Franco show without being, sure. like, that overt about it like he makes these little vanity movies based on like canonical literature and he like writes short stories like he's very much like putting himself but this is a movie that actually calls for the james franco show and what you get is pretty entertaining 
For sure. And it works because unlike those horrible short stories and those weird Faulkner movies he keeps making, um, he doesn't have final say or final cut. Like Danny Boyle gets to say that. Right. And so like these other movies where you get the flashbacks to what sort of person Aaron was, um, who actually like might be more normal than, he's probably definitely more normal than those other two. It's basically just like, maybe he's an introvert and his adult life has led to selfishness where he doesn't talk to the people he cares about, which is pretty ordinary, (laughs) mostly. Um, He literally has a moment in the movie where he's pretending it is the James Franco show and he's interviewing himself. Right, that that fake news show where they're just like, and Aaron, have you told anyone where you've gone? (laughs) Well, that's exactly like, I feel like how I would get like towards the end. Which is what I really liked about it. You know, I mean, I feel like you can agree that we are people who retreat, like, very deeply into sarcasm when we're really, like, faced with any emotional problems. Absolutely. Especially pop culture tinged sarcasm. Hey there, Aaron. Is it true? You didn't tell anyone where you were going. (gasps) 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 Oops. It's, It's interesting to think about, like, the director, like, what they think of this human being. What do you think of James Franco? Right. Because you had the first guy kind of was, like, really afraid for Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Like, was his general sort of demeanor going into the movie. Sean Penn was like, yeah, this is me when I was younger, guys, but you weren't there. Yeah. And then, you know, for this movie, I think Danny Boyle, like, might, like think this dude's kind of a dick and then kind of like a clown right and then kind of like forgives him by the end that's a really good point i think that's super smart but danny boyle's like sean penn it was funny because i think not to keep coming back to this but i was reading like the ebert review from 07 Mm -hmm. and ebert's just like i suspect sean penn cares very deeply about this movie and it's like yeah i think so too i think he cares like an irresponsible amount (laughs) to the point where he's not doing his job at all and danny boyle's like doing his job he's like a professional who's kind of like you know scouring these actors and like seeing what he can get out of them and like he uses he literally cast lizzie kaplan in a non-speaking role (laughs) yeah he uses he uses the like the brunt of the movie against what he knows James Franco likes to do and then kind of runs them into each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, when you ask James yeah. Franco to like act like this and also you're attached to this set piece here, right? Like the, the results are pretty interesting. Should we rate this guy? I would love to. Good, good. I would agree. And that's, that's sort of where I came to parsing out, like, what do, what do we mean by watchability and like yes it was very hard to look at the screen but at no point was i just like oh i wish i wasn't here or like i'm gonna check my phone because like for god's sake hal holbrook talking about like curing leather um um, anything quickly you want to say about these movies as a trio as we often do as sort of our send-off yeah i mean for me like my entertainment level like hung in you know, would I want to see this person going through something weird, like beyond my comfort zone? And uh, it turned out to be yes for only two of them, but also in like weirdly different ways. Mm. So I don't know. I guess for this genre, it is really about like your empathy with the main actor or actress. For sure. I would say that I think these movies are actually sort of strange because I think when you, you know, when you're when you're watching them and when you hear people, actually more so, they're more interesting when you think about like how they're consumed or what people are supposed to take away from them. Right. And I think your first thought is just like, oh, they're saying that like, oh, I should go do this. I should have a journey of my own. But actually, I don't think they are. I don't think any of these movies recommend that you do what these people do. The only one that's like, telling you you should do this no matter the cost is wild but then the other two one of them is dead and the other one lost an arm so (laughs) 
I feel like I, the moral of each story is like strikingly different. Like this one is, you know, if you go through this experience and really like give yourself over to nature and like self-discipline, you'll be a better person. The second one is, you know, only the good die young. Fuck it. And yeah, like, um, 127 hours is like, like you can be as wild as you want, dude, but like tell somebody when you go, at least call your mom, like at least call your mom back. But I think when these movies are distilled, like I just, none of these, I guess James Franco's sort of normal, but I think when they're distilled down to like your average Joe who rented this movie on iTunes or Googled a free stream of it, mm-hmm. like what are you supposed to take away from this? Well, like go have some mini adventure, but like mostly like don't forget to love the people in your life and like marry those two things in some small way. So it's it's weird that like these movies that like we associate with like extremes that led to extreme dividends are actually i think by the time they get to us it's like whoa don't be so extreme like (laughs) just just like do a little of this and then just like do a little socializing too yeah i feel like yeah that's right and i feel like yeah that's the that's the end goal is having is like preaching a message of you know you know cherish your (laughs) cherish your relationships yeah but then you know wild is like and do it this way. And the other two, two are like, by not doing this. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. For sure. So wild. <laughs> while, those two are cautionary tales. They're cautionary tales. Not. If not somewhat sexy ones. Such is the way of the world. You can never know. Well, sir. My friend, this has been a pleasure. Nice going into the woods with you. Oh my god, let's never watch these movies back to back to back ever again. <laughs> if you'd like to reach us, you can tweet at us, be real guys, real like film real, or be real guys at Gmail. I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer, and you can't kill the demon without stabbing the good boy. <laughs> I'm no Ballard, and I still think that's pretty funny. Yeah.